Yo, yo, welcome everyone to Weird Growth, the podcast where we hear the strange and often unpredictable journey that founders take. Uh, the conversation doesn't stop here. If you want to stay ahead and unlock access to exclusive insights, thought-provoking summaries of our latest episodes and a curated collection of valuable resources from across the web, don't miss out on the Ammo Marketing monthly newsletter. Please subscribe to our newsletter by the link in the description. This episode, we are really privileged to have Amanda Price, who is the head of High Growth Ventures and a partner at KPMG. She's also a coach at the Startmate Accelerator, an advisor and a judge at Perth's very own West Tech Fest, an advisor at Startup Catalyst, among many other things. And she's someone who has deep experience in high growth tech companies and marketing, both in the US and Australia. It's going to be an awesome conversation. Welcome, <laughs> Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us here on Weird Growth. The pressure. <laughs> well, you're a busy person, so thank you so much for making time um, to to be on here. I'm sure you're, I'm really excited for this chat. I'm sure we've got so many things um, we can talk about. But just to start off with, could you please introduce yourself and how have you come to do what you do? Sure. So, as you said, Amanda Price, head of high growth ventures at KPMG. So um, a little bit about us: we're a team within KPMG that's dedicated to working with startups, and if Probably the best way to think about it in a way is that we're like a concierge service. So the team and I work with founders to really help them understand their challenges and opportunities. And then our role is to connect them with a very vetted network of KPMG um, advisors and SMEs. So it's sort of what we do. Um, yeah. Amazing. And yeah, so that's, that's sort of it, I think. <laughs> no, that's that's brilliant. And um your background's really interesting as well, um, and we'd we'd love to get I'd love to get stuck into a little bit of that about how you've you know um, got to the point that you're at. Um, but before we do get stuck into that, I have a little pop quiz that we do on on weird growth, which is if you were to start just hypothetically start your own business today from scratch, um, what would you be doing and who would you be helping? Okay, this is gonna sound really boring, I think. Yeah. Because I listened to your podcast, so I knew this question was coming. Oh, good. So it wasn't so much of a pop quiz. Jeez, you've done your homework. (laughs) It's not a pop quiz, I knew. Um, Look, I think what's interesting about what we do is, you know, the whole goal is to really help founders with some of the services that we offer. But I think the best thing that's coming is obviously AI and how can we, like what will that mean in terms of the services and the way that we can actually support founders in terms of like how, I don't know, I'm sort of fascinated by how that's going to actually impact the services in terms of R&D, government grants, tax. And right now it takes a lot of time for us to work with founders and get information from them and and everything. And I'm sort of going, this could be quite, it's it's sort of quite incredible to think about how quickly all of that, like imagine R&D mm. that, you know, you're just absorbing information from that company and the grants can be done automatically. Imagine government grants instead of having to come to us or finding out what the government grants is, you can just, the government grants would become aware to you and you could use chat GPR to, to actually yeah. sort of fill it like that to me. So I always want to be working with founders. Like that's sort of my my thing. And then yep. I'm just like, how do we, the path is so hard. All of it's hard. It is. It and is. we all know that, you know, everyone listening knows that. And in terms of even capital raising, it's just a shitty, sorry, terrible yeah, no, terrible process and I'm like how how could we use AI to help with all of that and so allowing founders to focus on the things that they really need to and take away all of the services 
in a sense that we offer, not take away, but make them done very easily. Yeah. That that to me is, and I'm actually talking to a lot of venture studios around how you would actually be able to do that. And I I don't, I think I don't think we're that far away from some of that stuff. Oh my goodness, that sounds incredible. Actually, <laughs> like there are so many hoop jumping exercises and box ticking things that founders need to do, That's which right. do distract them from what they're really great at. That's right. Um, so think about yeah. your business. I wonder even like who's doing your finances and and all of that stuff that I'm sure you do not want to do. Nope. Imagine if that could just be right now you you would come to us and we would do a great job of it, I'm sure. But imagine if that would it, it could be just made so much it's so seamless and so easy yeah. through AI. I mean that's very exciting. Where, very exciting. Yeah. And and I think that is really for anyone who's sort of, you know, skeptical or dubious about what um, you know, large language models can do for them. Um, it really is about allowing you to focus on your superpowers rather than the grind of the day-to-day, you know, writing an email, for example, or oh. research and all the things which don't really add that much value. They don't. And I think that's, you know, like in setting up HG High Growth Ventures, you know, one of the things through my background being a founder and all of that sort of stuff you try we really i tried to really think about like you know what could we take off founders that would allow them to focus on the things that they need to and i'm a very big advocate for founder-led sales so let's think about that so founder-led sales you have to do it even if it's uncomfortable and it is sometimes that's where we want founders to be and right out in front of customers and investors Yet often, you know, we see them and they're spending a lot of time on financing and like doing the finances and all that sort of stuff. So it's exactly like that. You know, how how can we work with founders to get them spending time where they need to spend time and not on things mundane things like compliance and finance? Love it. Founder-led sales, that's that's a fancy word for the hustle, right? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. And it's, you know what, it's really hard and it's often not natural to many of us, but it's... There's no escaping the founder-led sales. 100%. Um, you have a background in marketing? Marketing well, sales. And sales, wonderful. How did that lead you from early in your career uh, to on, onto technology companies and, and startups and where you are now? Yes, I was lucky. My first, like, I think one of the things I knew when I was at uni was I just didn't want to work for a big company. All my friends were wanting to work for and I just, I never wanted to do that. So I don't even know why, I just didn't. So I knew that. And then I was very lucky to start working with a company called Tech Pacific. So Tech Pacific was a, a tech distribution company and it was actually called Imagineering, which Jody Rich, do you remember Jody Rich? Wow, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So Jody Rich ran it and it went into financial uh, disarray and then Tech Pacific came up next and I was lucky to work with them. Um, and through that, there was enormous growth. They they went through incredible growth and they had a massive competitor called Marisol. Anyway, I was lucky enough to get in there. Um, and in three years, I started as a junior buyer, I ended up as a national sales and marketing manager for one of their divisions. And I sort of grew really quickly through that. And it was just, Amazing. yeah, it was just, that's that was, I think, I don't know, sometimes I think that first job, maybe not, but <laughs> for some people, but that first job really started me getting into I I think through that I started to understand that I wanted to be in a company that was high growth. I wanted mm. to lead teams. I wanted to, um, you know, be in, in companies that were sort of agile and moving and that I could be promoted through. And I think that was sort of the 
the start of things for me is yeah, you know, nice. getting into all of that and then from then you can't really go back to working like and people would say oh you're at kvmg <laughs> well how are you at corporate kvmg but we're not we're a we're a sort of very separate team in kvmg that gets to operate very differently but i think from those early days i was like i could you know that this is what i want to do i want to work in something really fast and growth yeah i often say that you know someone going from working in that high growth kind of environment or startup-y kind of vibe and then trying to go back into corporates like trying to recage a lion from the wild like it's just not it doesn't work right um it's hard i mean it's i mean that's sort of in a sense like you know going forward 20 years from them that that stage going to KPMG, it's, you know, that's a, you know, and many startups and all that sort of stuff, it's a very different, it's a totally different environment. I've been lucky that, again, I've been able to set up something very different within that environment, but could I go and work in a, I don't know, I don't even know what a normal role would be in a corporate, no, (laughs) I I think that would be very, very hard. You spent some time in in the US as well, and and at one point for quite a while helping, helping high growth tech companies come from Australia and, and and launch in the US. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I went to the US in, well, uh, to, okay, it's a bit of a story. I went to the, the US in 2007. Mm-hmm. So if you think about 2007. Pre-GFC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so I went there with, uh, a, well, a startup in the US, but there was a company called um, iCorp that was that started in Australia. They were owned by Channel 10. So Channel 10, they decided we would go and launch into the US. So with that, I came across and we launched. And it was just, I was actually thinking about it today, just a really uh, difficult and, you know, just launching into a market where you you don't have enough experience to understand what it is like to go through a GFC or a, a market that isn't moving. And you do everything that you know to do, but nothing moves with you in the way that you think. And and that it was a very, very difficult experience. And so I was with that company, it was called iCorp for two and a half years. And then I really, by then I hated the US for the I just found it very difficult <laughs> for the first few years. But by that time I loved it and I wanted to stay. And that was at a time, if you think about Australia in 2010, that was when Startmate, AngelCube, like Nikki, all of the, like this, the startup scene was just starting to happen here. And so I was just, again, the whole thing is timing wise. I was very lucky that I sort of came out of that, decided, came out of iCorp, decided to stay in the US and then um, kept coming back to Australia, I was back a lot and then could see that there was a lot of stuff happening in the startup ecosystem and some companies that wanted to move to the US. And so I sort of started to run programs in the US where we we came back and we would we would sort of uh, select you know they they would they would uh sort of put their applications in and we select like 20 companies and we do these programs where we take companies to the US right and that that but in that state it sounds like so boring <laughs> to be honest but no one was doing it then and we would take no. sample, we do programs in Australia and then take them and people like Colin Keen there was all these people involved that are still around in the ecosystem that they helped me create these educational programs and we take them to the US, for, the US for three days. Out of that, I started to realize there was this, a lot of companies that wanted to go to the US. And so what we started to build, I had a company of my own called Oz Emerge, and it was pretty simple. We just started to realize that if we could have a network of accountants, so boring, accountants, tax, legal, 
and VCs and all this, if if Australian founders could come in and connect into that that network, yeah, imagine the amount of time they could save. Yeah, you know, imagine that. I mean, because it's. So, I mean, we did it. We just wasted so much time when I came across to try and find people to connect in with the right, and also vet the right people. If they could do that, we could do that for them. That would that would save a lot of time. So that was sort of my time over there, working out how we could help Australian founders do that, and then that's how when I came back and set up HGV is the same model, but and within KPMG, basically. Love it. What were some of the challenges, and maybe still are some of the challenges that Australian founders have with going into markets like the US? Uh, it's like, you know, it's it's funny. We've been really looking at this as HGV the last sort of year and talking to a lot of VCs and founders around. And sorry, the reason I went is because, <laughs> sorry, it's because it just doesn't feel like it's got any easier. Like, right. you know, Sometimes when I when we started HTV, I had in my head that we would be able to create, like interview all these Australian founders here in the US and create this sort of, not a manual, but a like a playbook kind of a thing. A playbook, you're yeah. right. And there's and it's there's still nothing like that. I don't even know why. It's a very hard thing to do, but but it's you know, going to the US is really hard. And you know, I, I, we are actually looking at how do we set up a program that can again help Australian founders do that? Because in talking to VCs, I mean, we don't think the success rate has increased mar- like a lot over the last yeah. few years. It's a very hard thing to do. What makes it hard, do you think, Amanda? Um, the, the things that I would point out are the sale. I, I think a big thing to talk about is the sales piece. I just yeah. – so I'm an investor as well. So I sit on investor calls with some of the companies and just some of the things I hear, like, you know, the other day I was on one of mine and they're, and they're saying, well, we're going to put someone on the US. We'll put all of our money. So we're putting $500,000 to hire this person, a person they don't know. They don't know. One person in the US, so one on point of failure. Yeah. You know, and and really just try and manage it from here where they don't know. It's that sort of stuff I'm just kind of, I just, that, I don't think that's ever worked. I, I just, I think as a community, We've got to get better at actually helping Australian founders understand the go-to-market piece. I just don't yeah. think we get it. Yeah. And I think it's and I, I, that's sorry. I shouldn't say we just don't even. It's a really hard thing to get right, and I I just think we need to, as a ecosystem, hate that word, work more with people who have done it before, the Lee Jaspers, the people that are coming back. How do we how do we get the knowledge from them? to harness that to actually help Australian founders because we when we work with hundreds of founders a year and we just we just some of the stuff that's going on and there's still not an understanding of the complexity of that market and it's really hard and we have founders still saying things like I'm gonna get if I get one percent of that market it's like you don't understand you just don't understand how many people are fighting for that one percent. Yeah. It's um as you say, founder-led growth slash hustle, it's not the same in Australia as it is in the US, obviously, but it's also by just by having that mentality of, oh, we'll just take 1% of the market, it forgets that you need, that every customer is an individual and there's a relationship and trust to be built and all of those things to achieve before you can expect that you can scale that. And, That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it's actually like, you know, even in our business, like at the moment, we're doing this enormous exercise around customer. 
understanding customer in our own market. Like we can't get it right. We work with yeah. founders and we still <laughs> get it. It is so hard. So it's very, very hard in your own market, right? So when you go into another market, the customer's not the same. The demographics yeah. are not the same. So yeah. whatever you understand here is not, you can't just replicate it in another market. It's it's very different. It's expensive. And the other thing is, you know, it's thinking about when you go to that market, can your business here carry the cost of another business for a number of years? It like is a whole separate a, business. Yeah. Right. Separate business. And can it carry that cost? Can it carry you as the founder going across and setting up a team there? And if it can't, you can't, it's it's pretty hard to make that work. And I think a lot of founders, when we when we look, which we do all the time at the financials, they're very optimistic financials. This will happen in a year. I will get sales of this. And they're very based on the Australian financials, which you know, I think it's a good thing to think about is, is that the best way to think about the US? Is it the Australian market and using those numbers, is it going to happen in the same time here? In a market that you knew, you knew people, you know the customers, like. Definitely a big challenge. What do you see the best founders do to reach their first customers and how do they, so say they, they reach their first customers here in Australia, and then the ones that are successful, what do you see them do in, in other places like the US? Yeah, I think they, I mean, I think, to be honest, I think some of them, you know, having a bit of money, having money. Like, yeah, that helps. <laughs> you know, having a bit of money helps as well. Um, and being able to go back and forth for a while really helps as well. You know, okay. being able to understand the market here, going over, back and forth, speaking to investors, like really getting some really, like, setting your foundations up really well over there because you, you probably at that stage they've got organic they've got customers that are over so they've usually got customers in certain markets yep. really looking at why those customers and that's what people say like i want to go to the us because we've already got customers it's like okay like let's really think about how you've got those customers where those customers are based why they're buying from you and do the analysis going back and forth for a while before you set up really understanding what sales um, sort of team, how, how are you going to sell to that market? And actually, what does that cost you? Like, is mm. it what sort of market is it? Are you doing it through distribution? Are you doing it through partnership? Do you have your own sales team? And really, I think it's really understanding the cost of it, the cost of the sales piece and the marketing piece to enter a new market is something I feel is really hard for a lot of founders to understand. Sure, absolutely. And then for those who do figure that out, how, how do they typically grow from there? What, what role do accelerators play in that? And what are the things that they can do that they can sort of go from that? Maybe they've gone from one to 10 or zero to one even. How do they get that to the next level? Oh, God. Um, I think, you know, I think it's just, again, it comes down to, I mean, the accelerator piece, is great. I mean, there's some fantastic accelerators here in Australia. And I think that, I mean, what acceleration to me means is that like anyone that can actually introduce you and connect you into the right um, VC, right investors, the right customers, like, wow, who could do mm. that? That would be mm. awesome if, mm. if that can happen. I mean, getting that sort of set up before you go, I think is is really awesome. But the ones that we see that do really well over there have that. They've got the support. They've got the VC. I mean, the big VCs now have very good connections over there with investors. 
and all of that sort of stuff. But how can we, you know, start customer well, well big sorry, founders from here talking to customers really early. So it's like who's got that yeah. relationship? How can you actually and the key relationships, not little ones all over the place. Like how do you actually start to, you know, really develop those relationships with people before you go? I think that's where we see some fantastic success. We certainly don't see it where founders just go over. That's it's pretty I mean it's just hard to do that in the market. Yeah, like you know, we talk to founders who expand into, you know, a market like the US and they speak about, you know, 1am Zoom calls and trying to do a lot of that sales process from here. Um, and they just get burnt out super quick. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they start going, well, now we need a presence over there because it's just not tenable to continue trying to run it from here. What yeah, about, and- yeah, other markets? I mean, you've got Singapore and, you know, Asia in our rough time zone do you think that's relevant do you think maybe they should be looking north rather than east no i, I think like I, I look it totally depends on the business that you're in sure i think yep. you know what i mean it's like it's it's but but back to the point so just on that in terms of founders trying to do different markets in different times and all that sort of stuff i mean one of the things i mean we, we should be talking about is actually that sort of founder burnout piece and how do you actually manage that when you're trying to do different that's exactly right how like you're trying to grow your business you have to stay up to these hours how do you actually manage that this is a really big issue I think for founders there's some stats that just came out the last few weeks around founders around sort of burnout depression ADHD all that sort of stuff and which are sort of mind-blowing um and you know it just amazes me sometimes in terms of the way if you think about it, you know, there's often the uh, comparison between a founder and an athlete. Right. Right. High performance. So, yeah, high performance. And what we're, we're we've, um, the programs we used to run actually at HGV were around sustained high performance. So how do you actually think about that? And you think about, you know, athletes. I remember a few years ago hearing this story about an athlete that complained that he couldn't sleep because his feet were over, he was too tall for the bed or something. And I just was like, oh, my God. Like, founders have to deal with so much more than that. And actually, athletes are have peak moments of performance where founders are on on all the time. Sustained, yeah. And so how do you, I, I don't know the answer to it, but, you know, I think we need to think about how with founders, how are we going to actually support that because, this whole thing of let's have a company in the garage and work ourselves to death and eat McDonald's every night and every so it's just like boring, irrelevant sort of narrative that doesn't actually support the the quality of founders that we have in Australia today. And so it's sort of like I think I think that's something we need to be talking about more. Is actually how do we you know how do we have how do we talk about that? I yep. think is a big thing. So, you know, but when they're going over to new markets, yeah, they're not going to be able to do it all from here. So I think talking about, I think this sustained high performance angle is also a big thing. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the majority of these businesses are online first or digital businesses. And I think a lot of people, when they first start down the journey of, of creating a product, they, you know, expect that they're going to be able to do a lot of this 
in a digital format or you know have you know um online advertising or um you know social content or whatever and just have a virtual community which they can tap into rather than the impersonal relationships but i think once you get to that point you realize especially with business to business SaaS products and things like that so much of it is about in-person and inter you know in relationships um yeah that's right and, i mean we hear yeah. a lot about the sort of product like the whole atlassian thing which has been awesome on everything this product like growth it's yep. like it doesn't require no people <laughs> it's still, <laughs> it still requires people absolutely yeah when did you realize hey this is this is getting serious this is this sort of high growth venture space is something that australia can excel at and we've got this sort of natural um i guess demeanor amongst australians that we you know we're innovative um we love starting new things what, what was that realization like and obviously you know made a career out of that yeah so again timing um i was you know i was in the states and you know in 2000 if you i don't know i sort of think back i don't know what i always get years wrong but 2010 2011 was probably when nikki was starting nikki shabak was starting um startmate yep you had angel cube which is uh adrian in melbourne and some and some other things and i suppose i've been away and i could and when i had my startup years ago i mean it wasn't even called a startup it was just called a shitty company that no one wanted to work for basically <laughs> um what was and, that? Just sorry to stop your train of thought there, but what was the business that you started? Um, it was called Airworks. And so it wasn't mine. I sort of, there was a, a, a group of people that were trying to start this thing. And then I was brought in and as a, and then within a few weeks was a CEO and, and wow. everything. But what did it do? Um, it was a sort of a media, in-store media. So we had a big contract with Woolworths and a few others to do all the in-store media. It was ah. actually like a <laughs> complete <laughs> no, is that like, like the woolly the woolies like their own radio station yeah. as you're so, walking all right, down the I'll aisles tell you very and, yeah. quickly very sort of probably not interesting to anyone's story but I'm we so already. i took this <laughs> and this took this over and then we had to put so the contract that we had and it was done before me but was that we would um we would own the in-store and the on you know the the floor advertising have you ever oh, seen yeah. you know that the stickers the decals the stickers yeah the decals yeah. yeah very good so we would do that so we owned and they'll never do that contract again in a million years but that's what that's what these guys had organized and then they had but the payment for that would be that we would put satellite dishes on 700 and i think it was like 20 714 i think it was um Woolworth stores oh my goodness. and then these guys basically couldn't get it going and they just flicked it off to me and then and so I had to work out how to put satellite dishes on 700, like, <laughs> and I don't know anything about satellite at all. So we went, we went in <laughs> and, and actually really strange, we were able to, we got this satellite company to do it for about 500 stores. We were able to do it no problem. We just went in, they literally, no permission, went in and put the satellite dishes on. When this was <laughs> happening goodness. though, I know, so weird. In the last few months of this, because we always had a con, we had to get this going. So they had in-store advertising. Um, the the last few months, then people started to realise the value of roofs. They were like, "Hang on, you're not putting dishes." So I was like, 
put it on anywhere. Near, because you put it on nearby, you could put it wherever the satellite dishes. But we had to start to pay for these satellite dishes. Wow. It was just the weirdest. Are you saying the value of roofs because they could put solar panels on there instead? People, no, well, people start to realise the value of satellites and what it would. They start to realise ah. what what was happening, and they started to charge us for it. Uh, wow. which was never in the contract, never in our costing. <laughs> and they, yeah, it was like crazy. But finally, yeah, it was, yeah, it was crazy. Actually, sorry, I've forgotten, completely forgotten the question you asked no, me. No, no, that's good. No, that's um, this is what we're gross about is there's always <laughs> an was, interesting. Actually, I'm going to say, yeah. that was the weirdest thing and it will never happen again. It will never happen that you can go and put 500 satellites on Woolworth stores without anyone asking for anything <laughs> and ever. <laughs> That's so good. What if, if if I was able to give you a magic wand and you could wave it and change one thing for founders of early stage or potential high growth companies, what what would you do with that magic wand? What would you change for them? The capital raising process because okay. it sucks. Yeah, it just is a time wasting suck. And yep. I mean, I don't. I just. I don't think it needs to be that way. I don't understand why that hasn't changed. Why we, like, I just sort of think often, like, founders are changing the world, right? Yet the capital raising process has not changed. I've been in this for 25 years. Mm. It's never changed. Like when I had the start, when I had Airworks years ago, I literally had to go and knock on door. We were, we were trying to raise um, I had to go and sell the company and I literally knocked on people's doors to try and do it and the whole and, and the whole thing was it's so inefficient. Yeah. It's just it's heartbreaking, it's not fair, it's full of bias. It's like, why can't we change that? Like what would it look like if if you could just change that? I mean, the power's in the wrong the, these people have the ideas. Yep. They've got the right thing. So the power's the wrong way. I think, but I don't yep. know how to change it. And I think there's that. I also think you could, as I said at the beginning, you know, we see, unfortunately, we work with a lot of companies at a later stage, so we were undoing a lot of mistakes that they, and a lot of things they just didn't, like structuring in tax and how they're going to be, you know, if they ever have a, well, which, not if they ever, when they have some sort of liquidity event, personally, can they set? Are they set up in the right tax way to maximise that? Like all these things, why can't like I'm hoping that very soon all of that can be done through AI, yeah. very automatically, very quickly. The setup can be done. I mean, the structuring piece is still like structuring tax piece has to be done right. I mean, if you've got a company you're building, like if this is your company. You know, we don't want you to be in a few years in massive dispute with your co-founder and their family if they don't, like all of these. It all has to be set up properly. From that's my big thing: set it up properly from the beginning, so it's very clear. That I think all that should be automated in the next few years. It should be quite easy to do. Here's hoping, hundred percent. Oh my God! Imagine, imagine, imagine they, it was. Yeah, um, and then they could, yeah, as you say, focus on all the things that they are great at. What's one? Yeah, what's one big piece of advice that you have for founders who are looking to grow? I think it's, I think what we see is, um, like, I suppose, what is the advice? Like, for me, as I said before, it's 
founder-led sales, if you if you have you have to do that. Like that's there's no getting out of that in in many, many companies. Some maybe, but the majority no. So yes. the best salesperson for customers and investors will be the founder. So yep. what are you doing with your time? Where is your time being spent? And you know, where and we the reason I genuinely set HDV up. You know, we're an investment for KPMG. So we sit, you know, separately is because, you know, one thing is you see so many founders spending so much time on finance, they won't let it go. They're not even good. They're not good at it. I wasn't good at it. I mean, I was very good at just outsourcing that, I'm not going to say. <laughs> but it's like, you know, if you've got the choice between being out there in market and spending time on finance, outsource some things. Just outsource it. It doesn't mean you're not close to it. Like we don't take finance and we do outsource finance. We never take it away from the founder. Our role is to make sure the founder is completely engaged in it because they're the ones that need to speak about it with investors. But the thing is, that sort of stuff, like, you know, I look at founders sometimes and we speak to them and say, how much time are you spending on your board reports because they've got to report monthly? They're like, oh, my God, I spent hours. We could We could set that up. Like you could actually get that set up so efficiently that it could take no time, an hour a month not hours and hours so i think it's like be really like be really thoughtful and i think nick um crocker actually from blackbird once i was talking to him about this exercise he did which i went back and did where i I really broke down my time where was i spending my time in a day in a week and i monitored over a month and i did it all in colors and stuff like that it's quite extraordinary to work out where you spend your time and as a founder if you're not spending your time, in my view, with, you know, in sales and in front of people, investors, all that, if you're spending spending miles of your time in finance and you're not a finance person, why are you doing that? Great answer. <laughs> Great answer. I think Peter Drucker said there are only two things that create value, innovation and marketing. Anything right. else is a cost. That's right. And it's like, but I think that's a really really like we should be really saying to founders where are you spending your time the other thing is like you know recently i've noticed um and a lot of people have come to talk to us about that fractional services so you know when i was in the u.s fractional services like outsource finance outsource sales outsource money big thing here not so much just sort of starting to happen and i wonder if it's happening too because a lot of people australians who were did amazing things in the u.s have come back and sort of want to work with founders so one of the things I would say is like think about, you know, my background's mainly sales, sales and marketing, mainly sales. And I'm like, I know how hard it is in a startup to work out the sales, what do you do with what's the sales model? And I see a lot of founders, they go on and they're gonna actually recruit someone really senior mm. to try and fix that problem. And I would say generally that person won't fix that problem. They're too far removed. They're just had too many years out. It's like me. I'm too far removed out of it now to really get the pain of it, right? So, yeah. And so the fractional services, so, for example, we've got some people we're working with. They're not KPMG, but we're working at the moment that can go in and actually really for a few months work out your strategy, who you really need, what you need to pay them, and then help you find them rather than us just try and put on a senior or a too junior person like, that to me, I think if we can start thinking around like that sort of thing, don't go and put someone on, like think about who can we use as really good advisors are hard, like, you know, that's 
again, one of the reasons why your ventures exists. It's hard to find the right people, but there are some people now that have come back from the US who really get it. So how can we find those people, put them in for a short period of time, save money, get them to, so you really understand what you're going to pay, who are they are, how they're going to operate, what the metrics would be, and then then get them to hire those people. I think that's awesome yeah, work for you. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, growing a team and and bringing team members in and, and putting them in the right seats, when you think about it, it's actually like building software in a lot of ways as well. You're yes. building a process yeah. and the same amount of effort that you put into architecting your, you know, your software or your product should be the same amount of effort that you put into building your team. You know what? That's that's exactly right. And building a team, we all know, I've listened to many of your podcasts on this, it's really hard. It sucks. It's really hard. And also a lot of us, especially I look at when I had, um, you know, years ago doing companies, I was 29. Like, what do you know at 29? Like, what, what do you know? Like, it's not like you don't know anything, but no one's taught you how to thoughtfully construct a team. No one's, right. no one, well, for me, I'll talk to myself, no one taught me how to think of a sales methodology a process. No one taught me how to identify CRM that would work really well, that would be able to capture data which would, with granularity that yeah. would allow me to actually make decisions around, you know, conversion rates and things. Well, no one taught me any of that. Yeah, so, and so you either do it by trial and error or you tap into someone who has that deep experience and ability to You do, but, you know, we don't have time. They don't yeah. have time to do. Yeah. That's the problem. Like when you look at why are companies failing at the moment? You know, we've been through this terrible time where capital has become scarce than mm-hmm. where it was. It's hard and companies are expected to grow, right? So how, how, how are they expected? So if you don't know, if you've always got capital or you've come from that or if you haven't come from GFC background where, you know, you really had to learn how to sell, it's very, very hard. It's really hard to make that work. Absolutely. Um, we're getting to the end of the episode. Um, we love to do a little show and tell time at the end of Weird Growth, which is where we ask our guests to share their favourite tool, device, software, toy that makes their lives better that they couldn't live without. Um, what can you share today, Amanda? Oh, my God. I saw this. <laughs> I, saw, <laughs> and I, I saw it on the other ones. I was like, oh, my God. So probably very little. But because I, I actually did, I don't know if you, um, Michael Batko, he does uh, his paddle pods. Have you done? <laughs> paddle pods? What's a paddle no, pod? Uh, pad, yeah, it's paddle pods. Um, so I'll say this is my my thing. So Batko yeah. Startmate runs these programs. I went and did it, and it is all around efficiency. So Batko is the most amazing thinker of efficiency, which I completely admire because I'm not. And so I thought I would join that program and I loved it. I recommend it to anyone who wants to learn around how to make everything more efficient. The problem we have at KPMG is we can't use any (laughs) technology. (laughs) And so I loved it because I met some really great founders. I couldn't use any of it. So I will say that my my hack is for people to go and do paddle pods uh, because it's awesome. So, yes, but besides that, it's very difficult in a big four to really have access to a lot of <laughs> technology. You use the systems you're given. <laughs> you use the systems we're given. We're allowed to yeah. use uh, ChatGPT, which I love and we use all the time. But besides that, I'm sorry, I'm probably the 
not able to recommend anything much really <laughs> no, that's that's great we'll put the links in the show notes to yeah do. And, and yep. like cool. back home, and also yep. if you are if you are someone who's really into efficiencies and all that his newsletter is it's just all the hacks all awesome. the stuff around that is just really awesome great share thank you thanks amanda um if anyone what's the final plug and ask if anyone's interested in getting to know you more or finding out more about KPMG High Growth Ventures, what should they do? They should reach out to me or the team. But, you know, I suppose, again, just going back to our team, we're almost like a concierge service. So it's really just working with founders. And if we are, you know, understand their challenges and opportunities and and we're the right ones, we can connect them into a vetted network at KPMG. So I suppose that's the that's the plug. And we would Brilliant. love to meet them. And we meet, work with lots of startups. So it would be great. Amazing. And um, in your role at, as a coach at Startmate or any of the others, what would you recommend founders do if they're interested in in exploring what an accelerator of, on that side of things might mean for yeah. them? Yeah, oh, look, reach out to any of them. I mean, actually, I've just done um, the Startmate Climate Tech Fellowship. <laughs> I've oh, wow. just done the Folklore Revenue Chapter. I mean, both of them awesome so especially you know go and have a look at folklore they've got free courses across so many areas and it it was really awesome so quickly with the revenue piece they just got different really senior founders to come and talk to us around how they did go to market and review i cannot recommend it enough it's awesome i think there's a lot of those sort of courses do them because they're awesome so yeah i would recommend it highly so good. We'll put the link to that as well in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, really, really good. That's great. Um, well, Amanda, thank you so much for being on Weird Growth. This has been fascinating. Um, and I think there's just been so many nuggets of wisdom that you've been able to share with founders in this episode. Um, really grateful for you being on Weird Growth. Thank you. Great to speak to you. Yeah, no, likewise. Um, and thank you all out there for listening to Weird Growth. We hope you enjoyed this amazing episode with Amanda from KPMG High Growth Ventures. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're listening to this as a podcast, it's also a video on YouTube. You can see Amanda and my beautiful faces. Oh. <laughs> um, please Listen do subscribe. It. <laughs> yeah. now, well, it's too late now. You're at the end of the episode anyway. Um, yeah, please do uh, leave a review and subscribe and let us know if you enjoy this episode. But um, until next time, this has been Weird Growth. I'm Cam Sinclair and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.